It's Tuesday, January 12th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hilton. Joining me in studio today from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman, and from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Happy Tuesday, gents. Hello. Did you guys know the State of the Union address is tonight? I just just realized that right before we started taping. Is that bad? Is it bad that we don't know? Well, we become sort of numb to it all, I guess. Yeah, it's this. It's his seventh, right? It's his seventh and final one. Yeah, it's it's President Obama's final state of the. I don't know. I I I was sort of struck by the fact that it's just hitting me now, just because I'm I'm generally aware of those types of things, and this one just sort of hit me. And is Trump going to be in attendance? He is not. Although Microsoft CEO uh, Satya Nadella will be, he's going to be a a guest of the First Lady. I saw her, and that, by the way, that's the extent of the business connection (laughs) for tonight. I saw Amazon's going to stream it. Are they live stream it? So I I guess. Check uh, Amazon.com and they'll give you the link to to get it. But yeah, they plan. That's on what Jeff Bezos for... said. You know what I want for my birthday? I want to I want to stream the State of the Union address. <laughs> that could on be my the list. new competition. Like Google's competing for next year's London NFL games now. Dude, I think Amazon might have been too. Or it's or internet it TV. They're now. not going to have a lot of competition for the London football games. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, Yahoo. I I didn't watch it, but apparently it well, didn't get the I, best I, reviews. And and no. we'll get to our actual topics in a second. But I did I did read something the other day about how. Uh, while it didn't necessarily Yahoo streaming an NFL game this past season didn't obviously do a tremendous amount for Yahoo's business. Technically, it was well, relatively well yeah, executed, or sure. executed well enough that it garnered interest yeah. from Google and others. So, so yeah, we'll we'll be seeing more of that. We're going to dip into the full mailbag today. We've got a retail executive who just won't go away, but uh, we're going to start. Uh, we are periscoping this episode, and this is going to be kind of meta because we're going to be talking about the business of Periscope while we periscope. Because Out of yesterday, body yeah, yesterday <laughs> shares of Twitter hit a new low. It's trading below twenty dollars a share for the first time, and today, Twitter announced that live video from Periscope can be viewed directly in the Twitter feed. You don't have to go to the Periscope app. And Jason, the hope is that. Live video on Twitter is going to bring in new members, and for existing members, it's going to keep them there longer. Yeah, I mean, I this—I don't think they made this move with the specific intent of saying, "All right, we need to boost, you know, our users." Uh, so this is what we're going to do. I think this was certainly a natural evolution of what you know they they wanted to to do with Periscope. I mean, you remember they bought Periscope, they acquired Periscope for under a hundred million dollars. Uh, not too terribly long ago, some, somewhere in the eighty-five to ninety million dollar range, and I, I think that this is going to turn out to be obviously a, uh, a an interesting acquisition, but I think a very shrewd one as well. Because I mean, if you think about it from this perspective, like you were saying, you, what this deal does is it takes Periscope video and and puts it directly in your Twitter feed. So you're scrolling through Twitter and you see someone has. You know, launched a Periscope video like maybe we're doing right now, and instead of having to click that link and go over to the Periscope app to watch it, you are literally just watching it right there in your Twitter feed. So, you know, the ram, the implications of that are that you don't you don't need a Periscope account to view Periscope content, whereas before this rollout, you did. Um, and so, if you think about it from that perspective, I mean, Periscope just took their user base from around 10 million people. To around 310 million people with with this integration. Now it's going to roll out, you know, piece by piece, and I think it starts out on iOS. It's going to go out then to Android, 
So it'll roll out slowly, just like just like any 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 feature normally would. Um, but but I mean the end the end of, of of the day, it's going to be you know Periscope content embedded in your Twitter feed, and now you have a Twitter platform with three hundred and some odd million users and, and growing, and you have Periscope now with essentially three hundred and some odd million users and growing. Um, and Periscope, I think, is is proving to be. Uh, a way that people are wanting to consume content. It's a way to get a different perspective. I think it's it's something that opens up uh, all sorts of, of things going on in the world that we might not have been able to see otherwise. And, and I refer back to just on New Year's when the the hotel in I think it was Abu Dhabi caught fire, and there was a gentleman from his hotel sitting there periscoping it and. Before we ever caught wind of it on CNN or anything, he was already on Periscope with ten thousand plus viewers, and he actually did a really good job covering it. And this this was just an amateur, you know, news guy. Well, I mean, he wasn't even a news guy, but but I think what it does is it really it brings more uh, people into the fray here. And like Jack uh, Dorsey always says, you know, the purpose of Twitter, the, one of the things they really want to focus on, focus on is being able to speak power, speak truth to power, and and this is just one more way to do that. So. Yeah, again, I mean, just sort of a natural evolution of the product, and I think certainly a, a very slick integration. The fact that they're reducing friction now, you don't need to go over to Periscope, you don't mm-hmm. need a new account, it's right there. That that makes total sense, and I'm I'm sure, Taylor, to Jason's point, they didn't wake up, see their stock price dip below twenty dollars a share, and say, "Oh, let's pull this lever." Yeah. That being said. Uh, these guys need a hit. Yeah. <laughs> they, they need this to be a hit. It makes a lot of sense. You just eliminated having to toggle between two separate apps. I uh-huh. mean, it seems like a much quicker integration than Facebook has tried with Instagram or uh, several of their acquisitions. So I think it, it makes perfect sense. And you're right, they've likely been working on this for weeks, months, uh, ever since the acquisition, maybe, to make it to make it a seamless process because you get like 300 million users now have that direct access to it, and that's a huge huge difference for. Tweeting versus live video. Yep. Uh, what were you saying earlier today about uh, about advertising and Twitter and advertising? Was oh yeah, yeah. No. It, well, it's a new it's a new product. They're basically trying to develop a product that is going to take everyday tweets that any one of us may throw out there and allow brands to integrate those tw- those tweets into um, you know advertising campaigns for whatever brands want to participate and i think again sort of a natural evolution of the platform i mean the 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 one thing um, twitter is is known for is for you know people getting out there and voicing strong opinions one way or the other and you know, brand advertising is where Twitter strength has always really, really been. I mean, they're working on developing the direct response product, and and that's something that we'll, you know, see how that all shakes out in time. But but brand advertising has always been their bread and butter, and so this is one more feature I think for brand advertisers to take advantage of. And I think it's a smart move. I mean, when you when you consider sort of, you know, you think about the value in and how powerful word of mouth advertising is today, right? That's basically what they're doing. Is they're they're going to present this product as a way to bring that sort of word of mouth advertising to brand advertisers. They can make it local, um, so you know you're you're scrolling through your Twitter feed and you you may see tweets in there from someone that you follow who who you know they're they're really touting this particular product, or brand, or service or whatever. You know, there's value in that, and I think what they're going to allow uh, with this product is they're going to allow these brands to then unlock more value with those tweets. And I think. 
you know, that's important. I mean, whenever you go buy something from Amazon or if you want to go take a trip somewhere, I mean, TripAdvisor is really good with this. The customer reviews are always valued, right? I mean, I, I always go in there and look at customer reviews for the good and the bad. And, and so, this is going to be another way to, to sort of take advantage of this. And, and again, sort of another natural evolution of the product that, uh, you know, should, should certainly add value to the platform. I saw the headline. The first thing I did was look to see if they have to ask for permission from the tweeter, and right. they do, which is, I think, a critical step. In yeah, that. and I mean, that'll be interesting to see how that shakes out because, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, on the one hand, you know, someone may be very flattered that a brand wants to use their tweet. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, maybe someone's thinking, hey, well, I want to get paid here in the process. Right. So it'll be interesting to see how the rights to those tweets are managed and, and exactly how, you know, that all shakes out for the for the parties involved, but um, again, I mean, it, it's it, to the to the sort of bigger notion here that uh, you know they're not sitting still there. I mean, as much as as they need a hit, I, I would focus less on sort of the one hit wonder thing here, and and focus more on sort of the process, the things that they're doing. Um, Three hundred plus million, that's still a lot of users, and the network effects with something like Twitter are. Pretty phenomenal when you think about the people that it reaches, who don't even use the platform, you know, as a registered user. So, uh, as an investor, I, I'm certainly very encouraged about the direction uh, in which the company is headed, and, and I, I uh, you know, intend to, to keep my shares, and we intend to keep our position in MDP. Marketfoolery at fool.com is our email address. Marketfoolery at fool.com from Alan Sukop. Apologies if I'm botching the last name, Alan. I'm very keen on making contributions to many of the interesting stocks talked about on the show, but being Canadian, the exchange rate is absolutely horrible. With long-term investing in mind, do you think it is unwise to jump into well-valued stocks right now, even though it would cost $1.40 for every dollar? Which is the lesser of two evils, bad exchange rate slash good value, or better rate and the possibility of missing out on some good buys? That's you know, certainly right up mm-hmm. your alley, yeah. Taylor, uh, because that's something that I think folks who are members of Stock Advisor Canada deal with. Absolutely. Yeah, we get questions about this all the time in Stock Advisor Canada and Pro Canada as well. Um, and we have a general answer that we, you know, currencies tend to be mean reverting, especially when you're talking about two economies that are relatively equal in the global scheme of things um, in terms of security. And if you look at historically, yes. A dollar, 140 Canadian right now leads to a U.S. dollar, but it has been worse in the last 15 to 20 years. It was a buck, a euro, a Canadian dollar 60 per U.S. dollar in January 2002, but it was right around a dollar, right around parity in 2011. So it oscillates, and if you buy over time, I think you have much greater exposure in the U.S. market to the global economy in terms of sector diversification. Look at a third of the Canadian stocks traded publicly are resources. Another third are banks, which then have ties to the resource companies through lending. Um, so I think that yes, I don't. I wouldn't use currency as an excuse to not invest if you see great value in the United States because there is great value here, um, and I I think that it's reverting over time. So if you have a five to ten year horizon and you're buying over time. This this point in time, with the way that the currency is weak against the U.S. dollar, really isn't gonna um, impact you most likely over that over that time horizon because you're going to be buying companies that are rising while the currency is doing its own thing. Yeah, I've certainly made mistakes in the past in trying to time a purchase price on a stock. Mm-hmm. 
So I guess um, now you're trying to time two things. I was just going to say, I guess I'm grateful that. I'm not also dealing with currency issues because I'm pretty sure I would I would botch that. As there's, well. Yeah, there's a whole host of reasons why the Canadian dollar is weak right now, and a whole host of reasons why it could switch any day now. Um, I mean, the U.S. dollar is strengthening because currencies around the world are weakening as we start to tighten our monetary policy while others are loosening it. So um, you could see the Canadian dollar go lower. Many are predicting for that to happen uh, this year, especially with oil prices where they are. But like I said, the diversification that the U.S. offers um, and some of his Canadian investments are likely benefiting right now if they have U.S. operations because their revenue is translating back to Canadian dollars and inflating that top line. So if the loonie does strengthen, maybe some of your U.S. investments help balance that out because results aren't going to look as strong in Canada if the loonie does strengthen. Question from Ed Finnegan. When you talk about price-to-earnings ratios, are they based on forward earnings guidance? Keep up the good work. Um, they're, they're, they're based on past, aren't they? Um, yeah. I mean, it, so standard, like whenever you talk about just the PE ratio, and, and you really aren't mentioning anything else, that that typically focuses on the trailing twelve month earnings, mm-hmm. um, and, and so from time to time, you know, we will look at the trailing PE and then sort of compare it to maybe what forward uh, estimates uh, you know may may imply there as far as a PE goes, and if that's the case, then we make sure to state that. I mean, that's you want to make sure to state so. If we're we're talking about PE based on on forward earnings, understand: Are you talking about the forward the next four quarters, or are you talking about the full year? Because there can be a difference there too, right? If I'm looking at a business that's halfway through its year, and I talk about full year, well, there are two quarter two quarters already baked into that, and you're only talk about talking about estimating two quarters. But if you talk about forward earnings, then typically you're talking about the next four quarters expectations. And so it's important to realize that when you talk about PE and the trailing, that's all stuff that has happened, right? That that is in the books. And and estimates are just that. Those are estimates and estimates can change um, at the drop of a hat and they often do. Um, but but you will typically hear when we refer to ratios like that, um, if we don't say something like forward estimates or full year estimates, then you should assume that it's referring to the trailing twelve months. Before we get to our final story, Alcoa reported earlier today we have officially kicked off earnings season. It'll really ramp up uh, over the next few weeks. I had said the other day that the conference call I am the most interested in this quarter is Chipotle's because of everything that they have dealt with. Um, I want to obviously, I'm curious about what the results are going to be, but I'm even more curious about how management is going to deal with that phone call. Taylor, what about you? What's what is one conference call that you are looking forward to, for good reasons or for bad? I think that's a great one. Um, we recommend Chipotle and Stock Advisor Canada as one of our U.S. recs, and see how they handle turmoil. I think that's going to be really important because the stock continues to just take it right on the head. Um, but in terms of possibly another one. Um, yeah, earnings Any season kind of there. It kind of snuck up on me with earnings season this quarter. Um, I think Kinder Morgan still has some explaining to do. And and then um, Halliburton or I want you to write an article, and I want that to be the headline. <laughs> that is the headline. Kinder Morgan <laughs> has some explaining to do. Um, and then I guess Halliburton and Baker Hughes out of the energy sector because. Uh, questions are still still out there about this merger. I think even more so because in this quarter that we've just seen, 
Um, the U.S. has been asking for extensions on the review, and Halliburton kind of balked at that, but then they gave them that extension. So um, I'm sure there'll be some questions about that. And that's a huge deal, especially with oil continuing to sink. Jason, what about you? Yeah, you know, I one that just recently received a downgrade here, Under Armour. Um, you know, this is this. I mean, when you think long term, I mean, this really is a business with a lot of opportunity in front. And when we we bought a, an initial position in million dollar portfolio, thinking that we didn't really want to try to wait for this thing, we wanted to open with a small position and then sort of go from there and buy opportunistically. And we feel like opportunity may be knocking. I've been doing a lot of valuation work here based on internal benchmarks and estimates and and seeing where you know around that seventy dollar price tag, this thing starts looking a little bit more interesting. Um, but with the downgrade it received, along with some general concerns we've been been noting on the retail front, it sounds like after this holiday season, you know, inventory levels, particularly retail inventory levels, may be a little bit higher than than some of these you know companies were hoping for, uh, which means they may need to figure out a way to move some product uh, out out the door here in the beginning of the new year. Uh, just sort of a boots on the ground thing. I have noticed a lot of emails from from Under Armour, and I'd say that's probably about a a half and half split of new product versus you know stuff that's on sale. So, I mean, we're not, we're not trying to time this by any means, but we we definitely are keeping an eye on Under Armour, and it'll be very interesting to see in this call if they if they note any sort of retail headwinds, um, because if that affects you know their their overall, you know, outlook on 2016. I mean, this is a stock that was pretty much priced for perfection going in. Um, so it it certainly, you know, would be reasonable to to expect it to fall even a little bit further. Did you guys watch the Nike Bowl last night? Because uh, you have the <laughs> Alabama, I watched the game. Alabama yeah. and Clemson, both Nike schools. You know, and that was a way better game than I really thought it would have been. When I I watched that Bama Florida yeah. SEC championship and, and Alabama just looked like they were steamrolling the entire game. You know, Clemson. I think you you got to take your hat your hats off to the Tigers because, I mean, they they really have I think a better team than anyone gave them credit for. Uh, you know, Watson or no, they really really had a, had a good good thing going, and I I man, I thought they I thought they really had a chance last that night. That onside kick. Yeah, yeah. Got to thank longtime fool Steve Wilson for sending our final story, and that is the fact that Dove <laughs> Charney. <laughs> or Dov, however you pronounce his first name, the founder and former CEO of American Apparel, is trying to get back his company. He has apparently gotten the backing of uh, a couple of private equity firms, including Silver Creek. Um, $300 million buyout offer for American Apparel, which, uh, as of this morning, the stock was trading for $0.11 cents a share. This is a company that is just well, that's like almost twice—not almost twice, but I mean, it's significantly more than what it was valued at, according yeah, to that article. Yeah, the market cap is around twenty-five million. So I'm just—I'm <laughs> yeah. not—I'm not really. But I—I I, I guess what surprises me here is that private equity firms looked whether Charney went to them or they went to Charney. Private equity firms were looking at this company, which is clearly. One nail away from being completely in the coffin, <laughs> and thought we can revive this brand. Ah, we we got to get we got to get Charney on board for this. Like, there's no one else. There's no one else in the world of retail who can take this troubled brand and and at least double the market cap. I don't know. Maybe his charisma shone through, and he, <sighs> he bought them over to the cult of Dove. But uh, I, 
you would have to imagine maybe nobody maybe no one wants it. Like it's too bad of a legacy, right? I mean, I think I think the uh, the icing on the cake here would be the headline that Chip Wilson is uh, oh. <laughs> joining up with Dove to to you know take this business to the next level. Because I mean, I think his private equity, you know, their argument is that uh, Charney's creativity and his vision are what really. You know, separated American Apparel for so many years, and they kind of failed. They failed to kind of look at the other side of the coin there conveniently, and, <laughs> and so I, I think that that uh, you know, any which way you cut it, um, Charney's got to be feeling pretty good at least about having an opportunity to get in there and do something with it. But yeah, I, I I've got about as much interest as uh, in this one as. A good swift kick in the groin, Chris. Now look, <laughs> which is none. Longtime listeners know of my affinity for former Chesapeake Energy CEO Arby McClendon, because few things. If you're in my job, few things are as wonderful <laughs> as having a high-profile CEO with a a penchant for unintentional comedy. But I look at Charney like, whereas I desperately want McClendon to be. A front and center public company CEO once again. I, I don't want that for Charney. I just want this guy to go well, that's away. That's because yeah. McClendon doesn't seem like that bad of a guy. Like he's maybe a bad CEO. Yeah, McClendon's but, generally greedy. I think. Yeah, it's, it's, he's, he's not like a, to say, but he's not yeah, like his, his vice manifests itself in greed, in just flat out greed, as opposed to. Other well, terrible things. Multiple sexual harassment. <laughs> I mean, you think about between like Mike Jeffries and Dove Charney and even Chip Wilson. I mean, retail breeds some pretty eccentric, uh, you know, eccentric leaders. It seems. I don't know. Maybe maybe we just notice it more because it's maybe it, they're it's, very it's consumer facing. But yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I just but like I said, I kind of just want Charney to. Just, <laughs> I hope somehow that you know he doesn't get his company back. But you know what? He does. I mean, it's a fashion consumer-oriented brand. Creativity you know, reigns. Some it's the land of opportunity, right? All right. Weird ways of expressing that creativity. Jason Moser, Taylor Muckerman. Good luck to your Carolina Panthers. Thank you very much. Yeah, keep pounding. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Forty. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.